Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Many volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails. And units available in Tamaria near the Keen area for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Angel 7 is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed at the Hello and welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that goes behind the scenes and takes an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Sala. I'm Rafael Posh. And I'm Dovi Mizel. In today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at how United Atzala as a national organization operating within communities throughout Israel respond to wartime situations and deal with both regular EMS calls as well as emergency calls caused by the violence of war and barrages of rockets on sometimes a single front and sometimes on multiple fronts. Yeah, absolutely. A very challenging neighborhood we're in, um, and uh, Israel is uh, posed with many security issues. And I, w- I want to put a disclaimer out here at the beginning of this podcast to really make it a point of understanding that uh, this is not uh, going to be looking at the situation from a political perspective, rather from an EMS professional perspective uh, working in the civilian arena and what the unique um, unique challenges and situations we find ourselves in as a civilian community-based organization. All right. And I think we can we can just kick it off already by, by explaining some of the things that happened already earlier this year, uh, where there was uh, a, a war that happened earlier in May. Um, and we had uh, situations where first responders were going out and responding to medical emergencies under fire of, of rockets. Yeah, so so maybe, uh, as I always say, let's take it back a notch. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like your favorite saying. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's going to become my, my, my thing here. Um, it, it's just to give a little bit of background and put things into perspective. So, so as we've mentioned before, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, uh, Middle Eastern or Israel geography, Israel is the size of New Jersey. And, and Israel deals with different fronts of, uh, of countries, some of them which are in peace agreements with Israel and some that are not in a very difficult neighborhood. Um, one of the security situations that Israel has been dealing with over the past two decades, um, at least, is the Palestinian-Israeli um, conflict. And, and, and as such, without once again getting into the political issue, it does affect us as first responders, as paramedics and EMTs in the field, in response to this Conflict, be it in terror attacks or be it in a, a, a regional deterioration of the security situation where there is what we call an operation or a war where thousands of miss- missiles will be showered or poured onto the civilian population of Israel coming from Gaza or Lebanon um, and, and how we as EMS professionals in the field need to deal with this. Mind you, we also have the regular day-to-day um, incidents that need to be dealt with. And they're happening at the same time. And, and like Rafael said, um, Israel fights its wars on its borders. Now, when we say on its borders, it literally is on the borders, meaning the, the, the war is being uh, fought 30 miles from the nearest civilian hospital, um, uh, or not, not to mention homes of the people. And, and understand that Even they're operating in some instances exactly in and, and we need to remember that these first responders are operating sometimes in areas that while their families are in shelters they're running out into the air raid sirens and the missiles falling in order to respond to the uh to, to, to the to the to the emergency response of the uh, of the missile fall right you one could say of the fallout yes double entendre um but the <laughs> Uh, and that and that unfortunately happens uh, on a regular enough basis 
uh, especially over the past couple of years, um, that we've actually started having to uh, put in special protocols and uh, equip our volunteers with bulletproof helmets and vests uh, in order to protect them when those instances take place. Um, and that's something which, as a first responder, you never want to be in that type of situation where, you know, it, uh, scene safety, of course, is, is the first and primordial uh, primordial thing that we need to worry about as a first responder um, to make sure your scene is safe before you approach. Um, and these are instances where we just don't know if the scene is going to be safe. Precisely, because the air raid siren goes off, we go out to where the missile fall is um, in order to respond, but good chance there'll be another air raid siren when we're on the way, while we're on scene, and we need to take it into consideration not only treatment of the scene and the victims on the scene, but also personal safety of additional incoming missiles. And it really is a war zone, and this is very uncommon when relating and thinking about your regular EMS service. Yes, I know colleagues of mine that must be listening here, be it in, in the U.S. or in Europe or in other areas that operate in hostile neighborhoods and deal with the, with the high levels of violence um, towards the first responders. Even active shooters in certain instances. Precisely. But on scale, it doesn't compare. When you're talking about this is literally a war zone we're dealing with. We're talking about dozens and dozens of air raid sirens and, and hundreds and thousands of missiles falling over a short period of time. We're talking about days usually because each one of these operations doesn't usually take longer than a couple of weeks. And if then, that, yeah. If that, and then, and then it just goes back to sort of normal and, Whatever and, that and is. routine. Yeah, our normal. <laughs> our our, our normal last year is. has been any a, a, anything but normal. I don't, I don't think there has been a normal uh, in a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, you you can also talk uh, firsthand experience. I know last uh, last round there was a time that you were down uh, responding to an emergency and you came back to your car and yes, you tell the very, rest of the story. Yeah, well, traumatizing. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I did personally go through therapy for this afterwards. Um, and 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 I'm not kidding because I happened to be in the southern city of Ashkelon, which is on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and uh, we were we were getting down there for a meeting in, in the hospital and to bring, obviously, additional equipment, uh, personal protective gear for our volunteers, um, a bulletproof vest and helmets and protective uh, and, and whatever was needed for for their response and preparedness in the community. And then and then what happened was the air raid siren started. And I'm talking about one air raid siren after another. We jump out of the cars as we don't have a shelter near us. So protocol is you jump out of the car and lie down on the ground a few meters away from the car, head down, hands overhead, facing the ground, and and wait for for explosion, and or, or one, the all clear, and, yeah. or or the all clear. But in this case, it was multiple explosions of of, of missiles. A lot of them were detonated by uh, the uh, um, the Iron Dome, the famous Iron Dome. Yeah. But um, there were those who were not, and and those uh, had direct hits on civilian houses. Um, while you feel the ground shake, the explosion, and, and in certain areas, uh, in, in, we even had shrapnel flying. And when I actually got up and to go back to the car to go to respond to the scene of the direct hit, I come back and I sit down in the driver's seat and I see a chunk of shrapnel stuck in the front shield of, of, of my car right in, front of, right in front of the driver's seat. And I was like, wow. They were not kidding about getting out of the car and, and lying down on the ground. Um, and, and There's a reason to follow protocols. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I was protected. I had my uh, my bulletproof vest and my helmet on, but still, it's 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 a situation that that us as first responders, we're civilians. 
yes, I, I did my military service. Yes, I did my reserves. But here in the EMS, we are in a civilian arena, but we find ourselves in a war zone. So how do you, how do we operate there? Um, and, and I think that later on a little bit in the discussion, we'll also talk about a little bit about cooperation with the IDF Medical Corps um, in, in response, because once again, very different here in Israel than in other um, military medicine. Here, it really mixes and blends into each other, the military, um, the military medicine and the civilian uh, EMS services. Correct. Um, and just sort of to put it into perspective, and this this takes place, uh, or this took place, uh, for going back to the the uh, conflict in May, uh, it took place over a very wide range of an area. It was it was not isolated. By the way, each one of these operations, sorry, or file for jumping in, has a name. Um, it's named by the by the uh, army. The operation was a it's called Guardian of the Walls. So right. this was Operation Guardian of the Walls. All right. Uh, it took place earlier in May um, of 2021, uh, and and affected a wide area of the country. Uh, I mean, I remember some of the. Uh, unfortunately, we had a number of fatalities as well as part of the operation, and and both Jewish and Muslim uh, in Israel, and the some of the people were were affected all as, as far north as as cities like Lod or Givat Shmuel, past Tel Aviv, even Netanya, and Jerusalem had some rockets as well. Yeah, imagine, imagine the metropolitan of Tel Aviv. Uh, with air raid sirens, people going into shelters and missiles falling on Tel Aviv. Very, very, very surreal uh, situation. Airport closed, Iron Dome detonating missiles over over Tel Aviv and 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 the international airport. And I myself personally, I even have the chills when I'm talking about this. This, this I guess, is all part of my PTSD. Um, is is really? I live in a small town outside of Tel Aviv called Ramla. And which is a mixed city of uh, of Jews, uh, Jews, Muslims, and Christians with a big Arab population, and one of the missiles actually one of the one of the nights this was three a.m. We had a series of air raid sirens going off, missiles going, uh, uh, missiles uh, incoming. Some of them were detonated by Iron Dome, and one was not actually about a thousand feet away from my house. Was a direct hit on a house where a a a, a thirteen year old girl and her father were both uh, Arab Muslim Arabs, uh, literally th- six was a thousand feet, yeah, three hundred meters, a thousand feet away from my home, and, and they were killed from a direct hit of a missile. They simply did not make it in time back to their shelter, and right. and I had leave. to wake up and you had to get dressed. Well, not and this dress, is this is go. that surreal situation of you running out of your house to drive for a two-minute drive of a 1,000 feet to respond to your neighbors that just had a direct missile hit on their house. I don't think right. it gets more surreal than that. It certainly doesn't. That, uh, that pretty much tips the iceberg. Now we can end the episode. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> there's still a lot more to talk about. So what do we do as, as an organization in terms of protocols for the volunteers who are in the field responding to this, like yourself and, and myself and many others? Um, how do we as... as sort of an organization come from an operational perspective uh, and say, okay, this is what we're going to be doing now that we're going to have this challenge facing us. So so what we do is usually it's not out of the blue. Usually what happens is when there's an escalation of the security situation, um, the government puts out a like a, a the level of alert yeah. is is uh, is escalated and and the usually the southern cities or the relevant areas regions are put into a, um, a standby 
for, for a situation like this. And immediately we activate our war protocol, our operation protocol, which is take MCI protocol and put that on steroids because you have to take into consideration all kinds of personal safety and security is issues, um, especially in these situations when you know you'll be um, responding to the scene. So we don't have... Um, for example, we limit the amount of first responders responding to any scene because we know this can instantly turn into a multiple scene of, of, of missile falling. Meaning usually in an MCI, you have you know where the incident is, you come, you respond, you do triage, start, whatever, stage, transport, and you're done. Here, one missile hits a house, the other missile will hit on the other side of town, and the other one will hit on a different side of town. So we immediately... Perhaps we can coin the phrase, instead of an MCI, it's an MIC, or it's a multiple incident... Casualties. Or yes. Mu multiple, multiple incidents multiple with casualties. Multiple incidents with casualties, yeah. And, and, and mind you, it depends on the region of where we are. You have the time to put yourself in a safe area. Meaning if you're in the southern cities that are close to the Gaza border, you have 10 to 15 seconds from the air raid siren to the impact of the missile. If you're talking about regions of Ashkelon, which I just mentioned, you're talking about 30 seconds. And as we move north in the country towards Tel Aviv, you're talking about a minute and a minute and a half to get into the shelter, into that safe area or protect yourself um, uh, from the uh, from the incoming missile. So, so the right. response mechanism is also different in every different city depending on the region. Exactly. Um, now, now, put that in perspective. You think about it, like, let's say we had, we had the example earlier of like the missiles that happened at three in the morning. Um, you're sleeping. It's three in the morning. You hear an air raid siren and you have anywhere between 15 seconds and a minute and a half to run into your room, grab your kids, and grab them and put everybody, get everyone into the shelter. It means you're waking up, they're waking up, everyone's got to run into the shelter wherever it happens to be, whether it's in your apartment. And you got to gear up with your protective gear, vest, helmet, and everything because well, we know first responders. as soon as impact happens, have that so much. you're out. Yeah. And yeah, the first responders then have to get their gear ready. And once the impact happens and you get, even if you get the all clear, sometimes even before the all clear, you got to run out to go no, help everybody else. The first responders else. don't wait for the all clear. They uh, they wait. Usually they'll hear the impact. They'll wait uh, ten to fifteen seconds after the the impact, um, and immediately start heading out once we have location of the hit, and we'll have a designated part of the volunteers from that area respond only, uh, a limited response call just to, mm -hmm. to, to make the initial assessment before we have all uh, all power in. Uh, to respond because we don't know if there are going to be additional sites of, of missile falling. Right. Or how many injured are going to be at any exactly. given site. Exactly. And we also want to minimize the risk of the teams because when you're in the field responding to a missile site, uh, a missile hit, you do not have where to hide. When the next air raid siren goes off, you're lying down on the ground, in the debris, in everything, in the site, putting your hands over your head and waiting for for, for that missile to to either be detonated or by, by Iron Dome or or hit somewhere um, before we can continue uh, before we can continue operations. It's literally working under fire in the hot zone without the ability. It to actually define the hot zone because when the missile air raid siren goes off, you don't know, you where, don't know where yeah. the hot zone is going to be. Right. The, the air raid sirens are done by, by regional areas. Like there's by a national, regional there's council, a national alert. Just like you have in America, you'll have the sirens for the tornadoes or hurricanes or, or tsunami or, or whatever it is. Um, it, it's, a national, it's a nationalized system that through uh, uh, what, what, whatever technology that the that, uh, uh, security forces have will not identify from the moment of the launch of the missile 
it immediately knows to identify the exact polygon of where the missile is going to hit. And only that area will be put into shelters. It, it, that's also part of the surrealism. Right. Is it's that incredibly an advanced situa- system, which which is mind-boggling how it works. It blows your mind because you can And it's be, all automated. It takes place in seconds, like in milliseconds even. Yeah, but the funny thing is, or funny might not be the right term, but the neighborhood next to you can be put into shelters while you're not so you obviously have all those smart people running outside anyway because their iron didn't go off. So they can take pictures and videos of Iron Dome detonating the missiles in, of in the, the neighborhood sky, yeah. next door. It really is crazy. But but let's get back to the to the, to the treatment and, and focus on 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 working quickly, effectively. In a lot of these cases, we'll find the we'll find the direct missile hit. Um, you'll you can visualize it as a IED that went off or, or other explosive device that went off. Um, you're talking it, like holes in buildings. Roofs collapsing. We're talking of, of demolition, some full demolitions of houses. Shrapnel holes in different places as well. Extensive uh, dispersal of shrapnel uh, in hundreds of feet around around the area. And our mission is to sift through the debris, if so to speak, metaphorically and physically, identify the, the injuries, triage them, tourniquet them up, airway, and get them out of there to the hospitals. Get 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 people off the street and back into the into the safe zones and wait and wait for the next and wait for the next incident. Well, it's really it's really kind of an incredible mind job and um, and it takes its toll it takes its toll on on a lot of the first responders from you know those regions or even those that go to help from other regions and often we we send additional forces down to to assist and relieve those who are living in the areas so they don't have to be the ones to respond per se at all times. Um, and other people can sort of share the load and share the burden. And yeah, yeah. So we, we also send uh, additional uh, um, resources, volunteers from other regions in the country, from quieter regions to help and assist. And we also have, being a community-based organization of volunteers, we do a family exchange program. We have the volunteers from the north come down to the south if the, if the operation is in the south. And we'll have the volunteer families from the south go and join the families of volunteers from the north in the quieter, safer areas until the operation is over. And this way, the element of, of don't forget that when you go out during a missile attack to respond to a, a missile hit, you don't know where the next missile is going to hit. And you cannot stop thinking about the safety of your own family that are back home. Right. And when the next air raid siren goes off, you know your family is going into the shelter if they have one, and not everyone has shelters, um, and and that stress levels um, affect us as first responders as well. For sure. So the idea of us helping the first responder by taking their families and then sending them back to safer and quieter areas also alleviates that stress that you're saying about that worry that they'll be going out to the field and leaving their family at home without them. Um, to an extent. On the other hand, it's also good for the responder to come home back to their family after everything has come come and done. Um, which is also very helpful. I know whenever I, whenever I go to a, uh, a very serious call or a very stressful call, one of the things that helps me the most is coming back home and like giving my kids, kids a hug or them hugging me. Yeah, but the it, question is, if you're going to have an air raid siren go off a minute later, right? will you really be relaxing? Well, that's the challenge. For me not, personally, is having the family away in a safe area makes me personally a lot more, more clear-minded yeah. to, 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 to perform perform better and do our mission. Well, that, that's part of the difference. It's like, it's a, it's, it's sort of like we go back to our trauma conversation. It's like, you're still in the situation. The situation hasn't ended until the operation's over. 
Um, and that's going to be days, if not weeks. Yeah. Um, so and thousands of missiles. And thousands of missiles. Uh, so it's, it's something which is which is continuing and ongoing. Um, and that's also a challenge, being in a situation where you're not going to a call and then the call's over. You're going to a call and then an hour later you have another one, another an hour later you have another one, sometimes two minutes later you have another one, and sometimes you know the next day you'll have a whole bunch more. And these are catastrophic calls. Right. So they definitely do. They take they take a toll on on a first responder psyche and a first responder's element, and um, especially being community based, you're seeing your community, you're seeing your supermarket explode, you're seeing your building next door lose the top floors, you're seeing this rockets at daycares. Which this like, is this is very very challenging. Um, but 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 then again, we chose this field. What can we do? Uh, <laughs> it's never boring, that's, that's for true. sure. And it's challenging for everybody. It's not just challenging for the responders. The first responders even more so because we have to go deal with it. But like everyone who sees it, the whole community is there. And I think being the first responders in those communities assists the community in of itself. It, it, it Build adds, resilience. It adds a community resilience to it, saying, like, you know, we have this situation, which we can't control, right? The residents in that city can't control what's going on. They're not controlling where the rockets are falling. They're not controlling the whole conflict. They're just trying to live their daily lives. And, and knowing that there's people who are going to be there to help Almost as fast as the missiles are coming in, that helps them. That that gives them some support, some stability in the in the chaos. Yep, absolutely. And and I think there's another aspect that that I I, I mentioned a little bit earlier, and that's working in collaboration with IDF. Right. We were going to get to that. Yeah. Combining military medicine, um, and and combat medicine. Um, where here it really is uh, something unique that you cannot find in any other country. Army medicine, army treats themselves. They have their medical corps. They do whatever they need to do. They have their hospitals. They 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 do what needs to be done, and 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 they're very professional. But they have nothing to do with the civilian arena. They do not know how to talk civilian. Here, however, it is very very different. Here, while the IDF um, forces are protecting the borders or the conflicted areas, um, if there is a soldiers that are injured, they will be treated by the medical corps and the, and the combat medics and, and, and all of that, except once they're transported, they'll either be airlifted by a military helicopter of the Air Force to the hospital, which is a civilian hospital because it's only a 20-minute flight away from no matter where on any of our borders, a 20-minute flight and you're landing on the rooftop of a civilian hospital. But if you're, they're not being flown out, then they'll be handed over to the civilian, civilian EMS. EMS yeah. So we have a lot of day-to-day um, work with the IDF, uh, with the infantry um, forces coming out of the war zones themselves and being handed over to the civilian EMS services and transported um, to the hospitals, which is very, very unique. And not only that, but this, the military medical corps will also assist in the civilian arena to, to add additional medical resources in a city which is severely attacked. You will find military ambulances running around the streets and working together with us and the government services in the same uh, in in the same area, which which was a uh, which was just hit by missiles. Not to mention the Home Front Command, right? Home- which is one of the liaisons that go in between the military and the civilian arena. That's that's their job. But in addition, in order to to facilitate that, when these situations occur, uh, quite often the military medical corps will train with the civilian. Absolutely, arena. That's, that's something which is absolutely fantastic because it it really exposes both sides to what the other's expertises are and vice versa. And then it creates a common language. It creates a common language. And you also get to know a little bit of who the people are going to be dealing with 
God forbid, if there is a crisis, when there's a crisis so, uh, yeah, that so, comes up. So throughout the country, throughout the country and throughout the year, we do joint exercises combining the IDF Medical Corps as well in the different areas, um, setting expectations, creating a, 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 a same language, understanding what each one of the services capabilities are and how we can we can actually work together because you cannot compare military operation and civilian operation. However, here we've created over the years a mechanism which is very, 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 very successful. And as a result of this collaboration, we're able to also activate them not only for war situations, meaning if there's an area which is more militarized uh, because of the security situation, but there is someone suffering a heart attack or there's an MVA or something like that, then we will activate the military resources which happen to be on a base right nearby We'll activate them as first responders to the scene until the the civilian services will show up. Right, because then we get back to talking about we're talking about the first, 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 first responders. They're the ones who are closest. Um, let's sort of focus on on some of the stories that took place uh, this May. We sort of spoke about uh, your situation with um, with your with uh, the shrapnel and the rocket attack in the car. Uh, there was a story of uh, of Asher Tzvi Shwed, who's one of our volunteers in Givat Shmuel. A uh, city near, located near, uh, not too far away from Tel Aviv, sort of in the metropolitan area of Tel Aviv, and they were under fire. There was an air raid. Uh, Tel Aviv was had, had a lot of missiles attack over the time period in, uh, of of the last o- operation, and Asher Tzvi was basically in his home with his family with the air raid siren, and and his the emergency alert siren on his phone went off, not because the rocket struck, but because someone collapsed uh, while they were out for a jog. Just as the air raid siren was happening, and they they collapsed, they got a, suffered a heart attack. Uh, they're not quite sure if it was because of the air raid siren or the rocket, or just because that that was what was happening with that man's physiology at the time. Um, but he suffered a heart attack while jogging on the middle of a soccer field. There was no cover, no protection whatsoever. And Ashrafi, as the team leader in the area, responded and said, "Only one or two other people come with me, so that we're not all under uh, or unexposed, really, to the uh, to the attack." Uh, went, took a helmet and a, and a vest, and started performing CPR for 40 minutes on in a, a soccer field. On, on, on a cardiac arrest. On a cardiac arrest, because these things happen also, and they're also you know taking place at the same time. And it's been exposed, and the air raid sirens kept going. Uh, there was there was a multiple uh, air raid sirens taking place at the time, and he kept performing uh, CPR in an area, and they tried to pull him over to the, to the fence to get them some little protection of the f- soccer field. What's the fence going to do? But it's better than nothing. And they performed CPR until the uh, the ambulance was able to come, and then they stabilized the patient and finally got him out to the hospitals as a local normal call because that person's life needed to be saved too. Yeah, like we said, the regular calls continue happening. And actually, if we need to categorize the type of in every air raid siren um, and missile attack, if I'd have to char- characterize the, the types of injuries that we uh, treat, I'll divide it into two. Number one is... Um, injuries as as a result of the direct hit of the missile, typical, uh, you know, um, uh, massive lacerations, um, uh, uh, blast injuries, shrapnel, etc. Um, and the other type, and actually these are in much bigger numbers, is people running for shelter and tripping and falling exactly. and getting hurt, exactly suffering heart attacks, tripping on the way, crashing through windows, head injuries, falling down the stairs. Yeah. I, I mean, this is no joke. We have right. in every air raid siren, we're talking about dozens and dozens and dozens of traumas occurring just as a result of running for shelter. Right. Secondary traumas, uh, but they take their toll. We had an instance also in this last operation where a woman even died because of that. 
because uh, she fell and she hit her head, suffered a head injury. No one was able to get to her for a few minutes, but the first responder, when they got there, uh, they had to start doing CPR. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's an interesting, challenging environment to operate in and very unique. Um, and and I, I, it's very hard to describe it, but I, I hope that at least a little bit of the pointers of, of we're going to, is, is sort of to reflect what EMS providers in Israel undergo and experience um, on so many fronts between the regular day-to-day operations through mass casualty incidents and through this very unique perspective of, of war medicine, of military medicine in a civilian arena. All right, absolutely. And we have just a minute or two left. Let's let's talk about some of the things we've learned from this unique uh, experience and the knowledge we gained from it um, and some of the lessons maybe we can pass on to some of our listeners about how to handle a situation where you might, hopefully you'll never find yourself in these situations, but where you're in a situation where you do come under perhaps live fire or a stressful situation in general and a scene that's not necessarily safe, uh, where you still have to go out and provide uh, care for your patient. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so it really is about um, pre-planning. First of all, have a plan. Always have a plan. Um, and, and we continuously try to learn from the incidents, from every operation, from one to another, and fine-tune the um, efficiency of our response, minimizing the risk to the first responders and the exposure we, and the exposure because we know the nature of a of a paramedic or an EMT is to run to to the scene but wait we might not need all of those resources there let that first responder from that blockway get there give that initial assessment him or the first two or three responders give the initial assessment scene survey safety and only then say okay i need additional resources i do need backup units or not if not stay in the in the in the safe area and mind you those regular calls will continue happening. They certainly will. Um, that's it. I think that's all for the time we have here. Uh, so I'm Raphael. And I'm Dovi. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>